You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I want to talk about the Texas ban on abortion after six weeks that went into effect recently. And specifically, I want to get into an article, an opinion piece I read in the New York Times today by Linda Greenhouse. And it says, the title of the article is, God Has No Place in Supreme Court Opinions. And she opens this article, the, the opinion piece, with this kind of really emotional paragraph that tries to tug at our emotional heartstrings. But I'll just read this paragraph and you'll, you can see what she's doing. But she, um, she starts off by saying, 150 years ago, a woman named Myra Bradwell brought a Supreme Court case claiming a constitutional right to be admitted to the Illinois bar. She had passed the state's bar exam with high honors, but the Illinois Supreme Court refused her application, saying that when the state legislature gave the court the power to grant law licenses, quote, it was with not the slightest expectation that this privilege would be extended to women, end quote. Now, remember, this is 150 years ago. And then she goes on, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the state court with Justice Joseph Bradley writing in a concurring opinion that, quote, the paramount destiny and mission of women are to fulfill the noble and benign offices of wife and mother. Uh, and then it goes on. She says this, quote, this, Justice Bradley explained, is the law of the creator. And so, of course, she she opens this opinion piece with something that happened 150 years ago. And um <laughs> And it's supposed to kind of like completely, you know, immediately, per- it's very persuasive in the beginning. It's supposed to persuade us. And she says, she says in the next paragraph, she says, but it turns out that God has a role in the country's civic life after all, that of supreme legislator. And she basically goes on in the article to attack uh, the abortion the abortion uh, law in Texas. She says in May, when governor Greg Abbott of Texas signed the SB eight bill, the vigil, she calls it the vigilante bill. Uh, of course, she uses the word vigilante as if, you know, it's some wild bill, vigilante bill that bans abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. Governor Abbott claimed that quote, our creator endowed us with the right to life. And yet millions of children lose their lives lose their right to life every year because of abortion. In Texas, we work to save those lives. And uh, she goes on to talk about other abortion uh, bans in Alabama and in Arkansas. She goes into detail about that. And, um, and she says, I could go on with this list, but these examples are sufficient to raise the question for those of us not on board with the, the- theocratizing of America. 
like we're becoming a theocracy, you know, the like just because we don't want to murder children. Um, she says, who let this is the, her her kind of thesis statement. Who let God into the legislative chamber? And it's like, well, maybe the founding fathers did. Um, the you know the founding fathers built the constitution and built the uh, built all the the founding principles on biblical principles. They were the founding fathers, whatever their faults were. There were a lot of faults, but they they were at least nominally Christian. Some of them were actually Christian. Some were just nominal Christians. But so they uh, they built the constitution around uh the the fundamental biblical principle of the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness which which isn't biblical but um she goes on to say um so who let who let god into this legislative chamber and she says the answer is we did our silence has turned us into enablers of those who are now foisting their religious beliefs on a country founded on opposition to an established church. Now, of course, she twists that because, yes, we when uh, when our founders didn't want a state church that, like in Germany and France and England, we they did not want a, a, an established state church. They wanted human beings to be free to worship whoever, you know, they wanted us because obviously you can't mandate the gospel on someone. You can't mandate someone be a Christian that has to be from God. And so um, it has to be a, a, a supernatural act from God and the Holy spirit. So, um, so the founders didn't want to establish a church, but they did found the, the country on biblical principles and that's why we get uh we hold these truths to be self-evident and that all men are endowed with rights and if there is no god then we're not endowed with rights like we have no rights they're human beings if there is no god um it doesn't make sense there's no morality there's no basis i've talked about this before on the show there's no basis for morality if there is no god if we're here just because of random mutation and natural selection and it, then there is no basis for for morality there's no basis for it it's just because the strong eats the weak um and so it's the survival of the fittest so there is no basis for morality um and so she then goes on, of course, to attack Amy Coney Barrett, the Supreme Court justice, and she says, Justice Barrett's personal religious views are, of course, her personal business. Now, this is like insanity to me because we all have a worldview. If even this woman who wrote the article, Linda Greenhouse, has a worldview, she has a secular humanist worldview. That is her religion. It informs everything she does and ever, and how she does things and how she thinks about things. And it, inf it informs who she votes for and her policy choices and all kinds of things. Uh, what policies she, she wants to have in place. So it's, it's semi psychotic. <laughs> it's like a dissociative disorder to, to think that you can separate like Justice Barrett's her religious views, 
her worldview, that it's her worldview. You can't separate that from who, from the, the way she sees the world and the way she decides cases. Like you can't separate those things. Of course, everyone on the Supreme Court has a specific worldview and they, I mean, it's obvious. Like it's so clear, you know, the cons, I mean, with some exceptions there, and there are many, but it's clear when there's, the conservative justice, justices that were appointed by conservative Republicans, or whatever, typically vote conservative. And those who were appointed by liberal presidents typically vote, uh, in a liberal way. So obviously your personal worldview is going to affect your decision making. Um, there's no way around that. And I, I talk about this many times before. I used to be pro-choice. I used to be, I mean, reluctantly pro-abortion. Um, I mean, I thought it was kind of, before I was a Christian, I thought abortion was kind of scary. Uh, cause I, I think deep down, I knew that it was a human life. Um, well, I did actually. I knew that it was a human life. Um, but, because of the culture I was in in Los Angeles, because of all my friends, my, all my friends were rabidly pro-choice, especially my best friend. She was hyper pro-choice, hyper pro-abortion. And so, of course, I just went along with it. And it wasn't until, again, that when I became a Christian and I understood the image of God, the Imago Dei, that I became very much pro-life uh, because I understood that we are all human beings are created in the image of God and, and, uh, life begins at conception. It's, it's not, it doesn't take a scientist to understand that life begins at conception. It's just obvious when it's, and I've talked about this before, uh, a fetus or an embryo is a potential. It's not a fetus is, uh, or an embryo is not a potential person. It's a person with potential. There's, it's just, it's so patently obvious and to, you have to, this is again, this is like in Romans one, this is suppressing the truth. This is when Paul talks about suppressing the truth, he uses uh, the illustration of homosexual behavior. But in this case, I you can use this same behavior, the same um, pro-abortion argument to, to illustrate uh, this is suppressing the truth. It's, it's an obvious suppressing of the truth. And, uh, and I, by the way, I, I want to clarify what the Imago Day is because I think before I, I, I talked about how it was different attributes, but once again, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser helped me understand really what the, uh, the image of God is, what it means to be created in the image of God. And so, what he says is, he says, being created in the image of God is not these following attributes. It's not consciousness. It's not sentience. It's not intelligence or rationality. It's not emotions. It's not soul spirit. It's not conscience, sense of morality. It's not communi- the ability to communicate. Because other, other, uh, primates and other animals can, can do a lot of these things. And the problem with this is you, an embryo or a fetus in the womb, a child in the womb can't do these things. A, a child in the womb 
doesn't have sentience depending on the trimester or whatever. Um, a child in the womb doesn't have these characteristics or these attributes or a lot of them. A child in the womb can't communicate. A child in the womb doesn't uh, have emotions uh, or, or, you know, doesn't have um, a sense of morality, uh, doesn't have the ability to worship, you know? So, and also someone in a coma is in the same situation or someone who has cerebral palsy, like they, they may not be able to, to communicate. So does that mean that they, they don't have the image of God stamped on them? So the point is, which is a brilliant point that Michael Heiser makes is this, the image of God is a status given to human beings. It's a status. It is not this list of attributes. And once you understand that, then an embryo at conception, a zygote at conception, has the status of an image bearer of God. That's the key. So if you don't have that understanding, as Mike Kaiser would say, if you don't have that understanding that it's a status, then then you have no argument to be pro-life. There's no pro-life argument because a, a an embryo in the womb doesn't have the ability to do all these things that we normally attribute to image bearers of God. So I think that's a really important thing to understand about being image bearers of God. It's God gave homo sapiens, God gave human beings the status of being his image bearer and uh, which makes perfect sense. And then, so she talks about, and back to Amy Coney Barrett, she says, uh, Justice Barrett's personal religious views are, of course, her personal business, but her support of this aggressive, aggressive, (laughs) aggressive public intervention into a matter of public concern was fair game for questions or should have been. It remained, however, far under the radar during the unseemly sprint to her Supreme Court confirmation. So it's like we're not allowed to have Supreme Court justices who believe abortion is wrong is that is that what's is that what linda greenhouse is saying i don't get it um because obviously people have different again worldviews and different opinions and different views uh and then she goes on in the article to say what reason other than religious doctrine is there really for turning back the clock on a decision that nearly a half a century ago freed women from the choice between the terror of the back alley and the tyranny of enforced motherhood. So again, the back alley argument is always the red herring. Like there's going to be, there's these massive back alley abortions. And, uh, and, and the, and then she says the tyranny of enforced motherhood. So apparently she believes being a mother is tyrannical, uh, or she thinks that the enforced motherhood is tyrannical. Just to have that view of of having a child and having is is a, some sort of tyrannical enforcement from the government is is so upside down and and insane. Uh, and then she says it's in. She says it is incumbent on the rest of us to call out those who invoke God as their legislative drafting partner. And it's like, yeah, but again, she's 
she's imposing her religious view, secular humanism on us as well. It's like she's imposing that view on us. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. You don't want us to impose our views on you, but you, you want to impose abortion, uh, late term abortion on, on, on Christians or on people who believe that, you know, we actually believe that that is a life. That's a human life in the womb. And that, that life is, is an image bearer of God. We actually believe that to the core. I mean, I believe that to the core. And, and by the way, I mean, I talked about this before, but, and JP Moreland, I was in his class for apologetics at, in seminary. And, uh, he, you know, he says this, uh, he said, if you are a Christian and you're pro abortion, you know, at some point you gotta figure that out. Like you gotta figure this out because, and I, I'm, I feel the same way. It's like, I, if you're a Christian and you're pro choice, pro abortion, there is a major disconnect going on. And it's, um, it's, it's very dangerous and very scary to be in that situation because you're aiding and abetting, you're affirming and aiding and abetting murder is what you're doing. And, um, and so it's a very dangerous place to be. And we know that, you know, there are many, politicians who claim to be religious obviously and are pro-choice which to me i i don't understand i understand because i i i don't i don't think that they they fully understand the gospel obviously um and they don't understand the word of god and at the end of the article the op-ed piece she says as the country lurches towards theocracy. We need voices like those more than ever. And she's talking about voices like governor Cuomo, who is pro-choice, but Catholic, um, which again, makes no sense. Uh, and so once again, at the, at the, the last line of the article is this kind of, kind of, uh, scare tactic, like the, like our country is lurching towards theocracy. Do you think, <laughs> Do you think we're lurching towards a theocracy? It doesn't seem that way. If you look around the country, if you look around the world, the, this country, the, it's the last thing it's doing is lurching towards theocracy. We're, we're lurching toward more and more decadence, more and more decay. Uh, as you can see, everything is decaying in more and more social, um, social structures and, obviously the LGBTQ movement and just families are being destroyed by all kinds of things, uh, which I want to get into next week or next time. I want to get into uh, a really interesting point about the destruction of the family. But so I just, um, I just want to, I just saw, I read this just now and I just had to turn on the camera and, and talk about this because Again, we, as, as believers, we have a certain worldview, just as every, anyone else has a certain worldview. And obviously we're going to base our decisions and our choices on that worldview. We're not going to go against our worldview. It doesn't make any sense. And 
Linda Greenhouse is not going to go against her worldview. But I'm very happy what is ha- what happened in Texas. I'm glad that uh, Governor Abbott had the boldness to pass that bill, and and uh, I think, yeah, I'm that that made me extremely happy because again. No, I was never concerned about abortion before I was a Christian. I never cared about it. And now I care deeply about it. I care deeply about innocent victims of genocide, of slaughter. I mean, it really is a barbaric. That's the thing. It's like we, it's, it's, it's not, this is not a civilization. If we're, if we're willing to murder our unborn children, we're barbarians. That's all we are. We're just barbarians. There's no civilized society because no civilized. And I've talked about this before. It's like we, we, you know, civilizations and cultures before us in antiquity would, would sacrifice babies on the altar of, uh, on the altar of their gods or whatever they would worship, um, their Elohim. And, uh, and we do the same thing today. We're, we're no different than those ancient cultures that we thought were so barbaric. We, we sacrifice innocent children, unborn babies on the altar of convenience, on the altar of sexual liberation. And we just, as Christians, we need to be aware of the barbarity of it and, and how savage it, it's so savage. And it's, it disturbs me to the core. And, um, and I know that passing laws about, you know, banning abortion at a, at a, you know, certain number of weeks is not going to necessarily bring non-believers to Christ. But even when I wasn't a Christian, my, I, my family members were pro-life. They were ardently pro-life. And that, that did not, their pro-life position did not inhibit me from coming to Christ. So does that make sense? Because I think the argument is if we legislate morality, we're going to somehow offend people and they're not going to come to Christ. But that's not the case. I came to Christ regardless of, of what my, you know, family members and, and I knew obviously Christians in the culture were anti-abortion. So it didn't, it didn't stop me from coming to Christ. That's, that's all I want to say about that. Let's pray for more of this more. I, cause I, she does say in this article that it seems like, you know, the wind is behind this pro-life movement and, and I, let's just pray that it keeps moving and that more and more children will be saved because of this, because of, uh, new legislation that will curtail or ab- abortion at the very least. Um, so thank you for watching and I will see you next time on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett cook show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Beckett cook show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com.
The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.